right, Dally, I think we can call this a quorum. We have a face in front of every microphone here in the Rural Radio Network studios. That means that midday is about to take to the air, and we have the round table for you today. You can't always say that. No, I can't. Yeah, it's going to be a situation where we've got people strung all over the place, but all we're doing right now is just kind of trolling on a short line. And what we've got over here is Clay Patton, who's telling us a little bit about what we can expect for our ag coverage today. Big uh, business meeting at the White House yesterday. Big behind-closed-door business meeting at the White House yesterday between renewable fuels and uh, fossil fuels. And, of course, these meetings have happened before, but Senator Grassley coming out yesterday on Twitter saying that uh, year-round E15, no cap on the wrens. But I like how he ends his tweet. The devil's in the details, and we'll see what comes out, because Senator Cruz on the flip side of the coin is saying this is a win-win for everyone so what's the what's the fine print on the back side well as we know from sports coverage there are big wins and there are little wins so we'll Very find true. out yeah when we get there so and that is our 1245 newsmaker today susan littlefield is sitting down with emily score ceo of growth energy and it sounds like emily kind of has had an insight into what happened yesterday at the white house on that renewable fuels meeting so we're going to be learning more there then at 1219 shaley's on with basf railroad and eric schultz they're talking about some of the latest innovations that they've brought there to their rail system and how that's going and then at 117 bryce is on with todd van hoos of farm credit talking about beginning farmer and rancher loans all right thanks very much jason jorgensen over here those darn huskers it's been that kind of a spring it really has they were swept by creighton last night as they lost the third game of the season five before that is noteworthy that is the first time since the early 90s that the blue jays have swept nebraska in baseball, which just kind of shows the struggles Huskers have had, and Creighton's had a pretty nice year. Also in college baseball talk, longtime Kansas State coach Brad Hill had a pretty good run there for a while. Uh, he is going to be stepping down as coach of the Wildcats. Also speaking of baseball, there was a no-hitter last night, a guy by the name of James Paxton, pitches for the Mariners. He is a native of Canada. All right, the game last night was in Toronto. Canada. Yes, and he became the first native from Canada, to throw a no-hitter in Canada. How cool is that? And even though that game was on the road, Uh and it was in front, I mean, the Blue Jays were playing the Mariners. At the end of that game, most of the people there were cheering for him to get the no-hitter because he was a native son. (laughs) Yeah. So kind of a a big deal for him. And it was a big deal for the Royals last night. Ten runs in the top of the first inning. Back-to-back-to-back home runs. They had four home runs. It was the first time that they've ever accomplished that without an out. Well, I'll I'll tell you what. If you can pull that off more often, that would probably be a good thing. (laughs) So they scored 15 (laughs) runs in total last night. Yikes. They'll probably be shut out (laughs) this evening. Vegas that, now taking the book. Isn't that how it usually goes? Yeah, well, consistency is is not one of the strong points on the resume. Uh, here we go. Bob Brogan's got a higher business index here. Energy stocks are leading U.S. indexes higher today. The price of crude oil, we haven't seen it this high for a while, up above $70 a barrel today. So uh, hang on to your whatever you've got your to hang on to there. To your and, uh <laughs> But stocks are higher today. Uh, some of it, things are kind of messed up or, around the uh, nuclear deal. Oh, yeah. All right. All this and more coming up for you today on Midday. 
Let's bring in Paul Perkins to take a look at our regional ag weather, and it's brought to you this hour by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. We do have a little bit of a risk today and a greater risk of severe weather tomorrow. Yes, uh, over western Kansas primarily today, just a marginal risk of severe storms. Uh, the potential is there for a few of those storms could be severe. A little bit greater risk is of severe storms over west and central Nebraska tomorrow when it does heat up as the front moves through. Right now, those temperatures in the low and mid-70s for the most part across the area. A few locations still in the upper 60s, such as in Ord. But a lot of us in the low and mid-70s, up to 77 already at Thedford and Lexington. Today, once again, sunny and unseasonably warm. Usually this time of year, we see highs in the low 70s. So if you're thinking, what happened to our spring-like weather, well, you're right. It's unseasonably warm yeah. for this time of year. High pressure pushing in from the west to help in that warm-up for today. Late today, in response to some low pressure starting up over southeast Colorado, we could see some thunderstorms develop across far western Kansas and eastern Colorado, then track east through the state of Kansas. That thunderstorm threat should stay to the south of the Nebraska-Kansas border. That main threat for severe activity in the way of a marginal risk over southwest and south-central Kansas, right along I-70 and points towards the south. That's where we could see some storms have some hail and strong winds. Tomorrow, going to be even warmer and more humid. We'll see some south winds kick in tomorrow, and that will be behind a warm front lifting through the region. Thunderstorms expected to develop late in the day tomorrow across the Panhandle, right near front. Then they'll track to the southeast. Some of those storms could go severe. The Storm Prediction Center placing central and western Nebraska in a slight risk for severe storms tomorrow. That better chance of thunderstorms tomorrow and anything severe right along the north of I-80. Friday, we should be mostly dry and closer to seasonal on our temperatures as those thunderstorms exit off towards the east. That front going to stall off to the southeast late on Friday. And as the moisture pools right along that front, storms will develop Friday night and could become severe. A slight risk for severe storms includes areas along and south of the line from Lincoln to McCook for Friday night. The weekend going to be much cooler behind that front. Some small thunderstorm chances will continue, but mainly at night for Saturday into Tuesday. A sustained warm-up begins in our long-term forecast. Temperatures for Nebraska, Kansas, and nearly all of the nation warmer than normal Monday through May 22nd. That lone exception for seasonal temperatures is going to be over southern California and southwest Arizona, but it's probably just going to feel hotter than normal since it's always hot there anyhow. Our precipitation forecast indicates it will be fairly active with slightly above normal rainfall for Nebraska and Kansas Monday through the 22nd. So along with those warm temperatures, we will see at least some rain chances. Soil temperatures four inches down at 7 this morning in the low and mid-50s in west central, west and north Nebraska, and the far northwest corner of Kansas. Or if you're long and west of a line from Norfolk to Lexington to Goodland, once again, those soil temperatures in the low and mid-50s. All other soil temperatures, though, in the upper 50s to low 60s. Weather factors affecting market trade include periods of rain to continue across the Midwest and well-timed precipitation in the South Russia wheat areas. An active weather pattern across the northern U.S. will be accompanied by much cooler weather in the next few days. Five-day precipitation totals could reach about one to two inches from the northern Rockies into the northeast U.S. The remainder of the southern third of the U.S. will experience mostly dry weather through the weekend. The rain in the Midwest will offer soil moisture benefit for crop development where it's already planted, but continue to disrupt the planting in northern areas of the Midwest. Something to watch, dryness has developed in the southwest Corn Belt. Topsoil moisture rated at least one quarter very short to short in Nebraska and Missouri. It's 
In the hard-hit drought southern plains, wheat areas, rain prospects over the next week remain mostly light. At least one half of the winter wheat rated very poor to poor in Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. There was a hit on the wheat market due to light to moderate rain last night into today over the South Russia Crop District. That rain timely and beneficial for their winter wheat after a period of dry weather and well above normal temperatures. Regional Ag Weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. So, Paul, how serious is this threat for tomorrow? That looks like a fairly uh, significant outbreak of some severe weather, especially when you get a slight risk in the forecast already. Uh, have an area of low pressure moving in, and then, of course, a cold front meeting up with some very warm and humid air. So definitely that potential of some rough weather in the way of some large hail and damaging winds, maybe an isolated tornado. All right. If we we'll get know, there. We'll yeah. know more tomorrow, yeah, especially. We certainly will, yep. And uh, we'll know it minute to minute, too. We'll let you in on it, too, with our Storm Center coverage here, should that break. And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Closed-door White House meeting to address E-15 and the RFS was held yesterday. I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a midday look at ag news. Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy, has an update. Well, we did have a lot of anticipation going into the meeting yesterday. It was the seventh meeting at the White House about the renewable fuel standard. And very good news coming out that we've learned from talking with the participants. The administration reaffirmed its commitment to year-round sales of E15. And this is something that we have needed and asked for for some time, The an RVP waiver that allows E15's uh, fuel with 15% ethanol to be sold year-round as opposed to just nine months of the year. And so we're, we're very pleased with that outcome. We also learned that all parties agreed this conversation of a RIN cap is dead. And that too is good news because that would have been absolutely detrimental to the growth of biofuel use in the U.S. So very good news. Those were the two things that have been talked about the most over the past month and where we've had uh, the most attention and some of the anxiety. So we're very pleased to hear that news. And we hope that the administration, and this is really EPA that would act on the rulemaking, will give us year-round sales as quickly as possible because consumers need to, to be able to access illegal fuel and benefit from the cost savings. Also discussed yesterday, which has had mixed reaction, is the possibility of attaching RINs to exports. Scored said the idea would harm agriculture and biofuels, stating attaching a RIN to ethanol exports would have a crippling impact on American agriculture, significantly reducing demand for ethanol and corn. It would also have major trade implications, as export RINs would be considered a subsidy by our global trading partners, who will likely challenge this as an unnecessary advantage to U.S. ethanol. And a federal judge has slashed the damages awarded to neighbors of a North Carolina hog farm. He has lowered the award to $2.5 million from $50 million. The judge reduced the award because of a cap on damages set by state law. Last month, the North Carolina jury ruled that Murphy Brown LLC, a subsidiary of Smithfield Foods, must pay its neighbors $50 million in damages as the result of a nuisance lawsuit. The plaintiffs complained that waste from the farm smelled so bad that it limited their access to the outdoors and that the farm's open waste lagoons attracted buzzards and flies. The jury in the case took less than 24 hours to reach a verdict. The trial involved 10 plaintiffs who live near a farm that contracts with Smithfield to raise 15,000 hogs. 
And a new report released this week highlights producers' commitment to animal welfare, beef quality, sustainability, and community involvement by America's cattlemen and women, resulting in beef responsibly raised. The Cattlemen's Stewardship Review, funded by the Beef Checkoff and completed in 2017, compiles data collected from cattlemen and women across the country. First survey completed in 2010 set a benchmark for the cattle industry. The new report shows that in the years since improvements have been made in all four areas of the cattle industry. In addition, the report includes a comprehensive profile of the beef community today, the impact of beef production to the U.S. economy, and the research-based tools and resources used to raise beef. National Cattlemen's Beef Association CEO Kendall Frazier says the survey shows an overview of producer commitment and progress across the cattle industry. You can find more on the Cattlemen's Stewardship Review and all of our other ag news, audio and video, as well as market information up to date anytime by visiting RuralRadio.com. That's a quick look at your midday ag news. I'm Shaylee Peters and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's been an awfully productive week for our growers. I am Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and we visit today with Technical Service Representative Eric Schultz this week with BASF. And Eric, getting another update, as we talked about ahead of time, we had a very productive week across the Midwest, some decent weather. So to start out, we'll get an update from you on planting progress and other updates from last week. Uh, yes, we have certainly had a busy last week, and I cover eastern Nebraska, and in the southeast part of the state, we are quickly approaching 90% or even higher of our corn getting in the ground. Soybeans down in that part, probably pretty close to 50%. In the northeast part of Nebraska, we're really kind of about 50%, I would say. Um, after the last couple of days with our corn planting progress and soybeans um, lagging a little bit behind, maybe 25 to 30 percent. And of course, as much as our growers enjoy the sunshine and the plants do as well, that means weeds are also enjoying it and really the time to be looking at and putting into action some of our weed control. Yes, you are definitely right there. We are at a time when our weeds got a little bit of a late start on their emergence overall this spring Um, and when that comes um, the sunshine and the heat then develops those weeds extremely fast so scouting those fields um, as we look ahead to either planting or getting down our pre-emerge applications is going to be especially important because of how quickly they will be growing where we need to get out there when our weeds are a relatively small size and they can shoot up very fast. And with weeds being one of the bigger issues producers can face, it's important to know there are a lot of options when it comes to weed control. Yes, and when we're talking about the corn acre, if we have any fields out there that don't have either a burn down plus residual application or a pre-emerge herbicide on them yet and they are not emerged, we can make applications of verdict herbicide, which gives us great burn down and great early season residual, uh, fantastic for a post application. And in those other fields where we may have spiking corn, um, we want to switch over from any verdict applications to Armazon Pro. And when we talk about getting that 
spiked corn application of Armazon Pro out. If we didn't have a pre-application down already, we want to get that rate up to about 20 fluid ounces an acre, and we have exceptional activation with the outlook component of that premix, and that's going to be very important as we look ahead to where our drought monitor is at, and then also any rain in the forecast. So one other comment I want to make on the soybean acre. We have Zidua Pro herbicide available for pre-emerge application, also pre-plant. So as soon as we get those soybeans in the ground, we should be making our Zidua Pro applications, which is a premix of Sharpen, Pursuit, and Zidua, which this gives us exceptional burndown, as well as great long-lasting residual control. All right, Eric, thanks so much. This week's BASF Technical Service Representative Eric Schultz visiting with us about planting progress, what we're seeing out there in the field. Tune in every Wednesday right here as we get growing season updates from BASF. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, for the first time since the early 90s, Creighton has swept the season series with Nebraska, winning the third and final game last night at TD Ameritrade Park, winning that one 5-4. With that loss, the Huskers fall to 22-24 and overall. They'll finish up the home schedule this weekend when they take on Indiana. That three-game series starts on Friday night at 635. K-State coach Brad Hill is stepping down after this season as the school's winningest coach. That ends a tenure that includes four NCAA regional appearances and a super regional berth. Wildcats athletic director Gene Taylor made that announcement this week. Well, in the state of Nebraska, district track is on tap today in classes A and D. Classes B and C will go tomorrow. The NSAA Girls State Soccer Tournament is underway in Class A in Omaha. Earlier today, it was Millard West knocking off Lincoln Southeast 2 to nothing. At last check at halftime, North Platte and Millard North, they were scoreless. Well, last night, the Royals did something a little different. They used a 10-run first inning to down Baltimore 15-7. to In that game, the Royals hit four homers before making an out. The brunt of that outburst came against right-handed starter Dylan Bundy, who yielded seven runs without retiring a single batter. And Kansas City's four homers tied a club record for most in any inning. Mike Mustak, who's had one of the long balls, says that was quite the beginning. You know, that was obviously uh, really good for us. Uh, you know, JJ got us going, still there, kept it going. And, uh, you know, we were just able to bat through the lineup, and everyone just uh, was able to contribute that first inning. It was pretty awesome. Mustak has made his comments last night to Fox Sports Kansas City. The two teams will play again tonight in Baltimore. Another baseball news, Seattle lefty James Paxton started the Mariners series by pitching a no-hitter against Toronto. That's the first by a Canadian in his home country. Fans of the Rogers Center cheered in the late innings for Paxton, who has a giant tattoo of a maple leaf on his right forearm and a nod to Canada's national symbol. And he says you made, and he says you wanted to make sure that he finished strong. So I was like, I better bring my best stuff right here. You know, I'm, I'm going to rear back and throw it as hard as I can. You know, that's, fastball is obviously my best pitch. They know it, I know it. And I was like, I'm going to let it rip the top of the zone and see what happens. Certainly a night he won't soon forget. And an Eastern Conference Finals rematch with the Cavaliers is in reach for the Celtics. The only thing stopping it is one more victory against the 76ers. Now, Toronto was swept by Cleveland on Monday to become the 130th consecutive team in NBA history to fail to overcome a 3-0 deficit. Philadelphia is one loss away from becoming number 131. 
Game 5 is tonight in Boston. The Celtics have yet to lose a game this year. The Celtics have the Celtics have yet to lose a game at home this postseason. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly clear skies tonight, lows in the 50s. I'm Dave Schroeder. The Nebraska State Patrol responded to a two-fatality accident Tuesday afternoon about a mile south of Taylor in Luke County at the junction of Highways 91 and 183. The collision occurred between a northbound semi on Highway 183 and an eastbound van on Highway 91, turning to go south on Highway 183. The Nebraska State Patrol and emergency personnel were summoned around 3.46 p.m., the deceased were identified as the driver of the van, 87-year-old Alphys Ralph Castile, and his passenger, 85-year-old Norma Castile of Sargent. Nebraska Tourism Director John Ricks said that tourism was given a big boost last year because of the eclipse. He said it will have long-ranging effects as well. Nebraska wasn't on their, or hasn't been on their, their shopping list for a vacation. But because the eclipse was here, that drew them, okay? Something happened to them when they were here. They had a wonderful time. And that now is manifest in the fact that 40% of them said they'd be back in a year or two, and another 45% said they'd be back within three to five years. So it took an audience of, no, big audience, about 70 whatever percent, 75, 78% of the people said they were not, they, they said, yeah, we don't travel here. But now most of them said that they'd be back. Tourism is considered the number three industry in Nebraska, bringing in over $4 billion to the state each year. Kansas State Fair officials are warning about websites selling fraudulent tickets for this year's fair. Several customers learned after buying tickets that the websites they use weren't authorized to sell tickets. Marketing Director Joy Whitman said in a statement that the sites use the words Kansas State Fair in their web addresses, Customers receive email confirmations that are incomplete or contain the wrong customer information. The fair is working to have the fraudulent sites removed from Google's search engine. The only legitimate online ticket seller for the Kansas State Fair is eTix, which can be accessed by kansasstatefair.com under the tickets button. The head of the Kansas Department of Children and Families says the agency is making more changes in the Wichita area after another child death. Secretary Meyer Hummel said that the agency will be implementing corrective action plans. The announcement came after court records showed that relatives of two-year-old Anthony Bunn reported concerns to the agency before the toddler died last week. His mother and her boyfriend are jailed on suspicion of murder. Great ag and news coverage at your fingertips. Click podcasts and video right under Listen Live at krvn.com. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. A lot of discussion after the White House meeting yesterday dealing with the RFS and ethanol. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Emily Score is CEO of Growth Energy. She talked about the before and after reactions to the closed-door White House meeting. Well, we did have a lot of anticipation going into the meeting yesterday. It was the seventh meeting at the White House about the renewable fuel standard. And very good news coming out that we've learned from talking with the participants. The administration reaffirmed its commitment to year-round sales of E15. And this is something that we have needed 
and asked for for some time the an RVP waiver that allows E15's uh, fuel with 15% ethanol to be sold year-round as opposed to just nine months of the year. And so we're, we're very pleased with that outcome. We also learned that all parties agreed this conversation of a RIN cap is dead. And that, too, is good news because that would have been absolutely detrimental to the growth of biofuel use in the U.S. So very good news. Those were the two things that have been talked about the most over the past months and where we've had uh, the most attention and some of the anxiety. So we're very pleased to hear that news. And we hope that the administration, and this is really EPA that would act on the rulemaking, will give us year-round sales as quickly as possible because consumers need to, to be able to access illegal fuel and benefit from the cost savings. Well, there's been some mixed reaction to Senator Ted Cruz's comments. He called it a win-win for all three, but some say that there's some backdoor work going on that might not be a benefit. Yes. So then a, a third part that we've heard about this the, the conversation yesterday, and this is where it, there's still a lot of uncertainty and we just don't really know the path forward. There was some conversation that uh, Secretary Purdue and Administrator Pruitt would potentially address the small refiner waivers by offering, so these are the waivers that EPA has have been giving, and reassigning those obligated gallons via credits on ethanol exports. So it's this notion of a, a RIN on exports, and that's something that we absolutely oppose. Um, this is an idea that reared its, its ugly head for some time last year, and the, uh, mis- the administrator uh, said in a commitment letter to senators that they, EPA was not going to consider it because it's problematic for a host of reasons. Um, so we're uncertain as to that path forward. I think, you know, according to um, the information that we're getting from uh, the people we've talked to in the meeting, Mr. Cruz uh, is there was no agreement on that path forward um, on export RINs. There was discussion to, all right, Mr. Pruitt, Mr. Purdue, go forth and try to figure this out together. So that hopefully will be a longer drawn out work process because the export RINs, it's problematic first and foremost because it runs entirely counter to the renewable fuel standard. The RFS is all about blending domestic biofuel not about exporting domestic biofuel. So attaching a credit for exporting a gallon as opposed to using it domestically, that's not something that, that should be entertained. Our trading partners would also see this as a subsidy, and they would challenge it. Um, and it also would have devastating impacts on the demand for domestic biofuel. So we see it as problematic and troublesome in a host of, of ways, and hopefully all of that will come to light through the, the conversation with EPA and USDA. You know, those in the ag industry understand the importance of, of what this all means to their bottom line and the paycheck they get for the crop that they grow. But to that consumer that's hearing RFS, RINs, E15, E20, E10, it gets kind of confusing. <laughs> it's utterly confusing. Hopefully what the consumer should experience soon is something as straightforward as when you pull up to the gas station, no matter what day, no matter what month, you can buy an 88-octane fuel that's blended with 15% ethanol, and in doing so, you are doing something. You're putting in a fuel that's good for the engine, it's better for the environment, and you'll save 5 to $0.10 cents per gallon. So that's the most important takeaway for the consumer. As you look at everything that's been going on, I mean, this the frustration, the behind-the-door the door talks for you guys. How are you keeping abreast to everything that's been going on and the consistent changes that we keep hearing? Well, it's it's a it's a lot of work, I will say. So we just make sure that we are in conversation with all 
um, all the various decision makers in play. And so throughout the administration, we've got to continue to have lots of conversations and share information and make sure that uh, the people in in conversations who we know are advocating for the American farmer, for rural America, like Secretary Purdue, like Senators Grassley and Ernst. So those those three individuals were all in the meeting at the White House yesterday. We need to arm them with the facts and the information so they can go in and do what they want to do, which is advocate for our best interests. And for, for folks that I'm thinking like Poet, Green Plains, all those grassroots ethanols, what is the reaction that they've given back to you guys? at growth energy in regards to all of this well i mean you know we're we're still kind of assessing and evaluating some of what we're hearing about yesterday's meeting i mean first and foremost we want to make sure we get rvp across the finish line that's our opportunity for growth we've got to unleash the potential of higher blends and the fact that the sales of higher blends were limited for certain parts of the year we've got to get that off the table so that's very important uh we want to make sure that we educate uh, the administration moving forward on all of the pitfalls of the export win notion. Comments with Emily Score. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Next, we'll talk with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities on the uh, livestock futures trade today. Joe? Yeah, kind of a, another one of those disappointing days uh, for the bulls in the uh, livestock. The only uh, positive was the uh, June hogs, which finished a whopping 27 cents higher. And out of all the active contracts, that was the only one to make it uh, higher. Cattle uh, came under some pressure uh, uh, once again. They, they tried to rally early, but uh, it appears that uh, any cash trade that's taking place is probably going to be a little bit softer. And the cutouts at noon were down for the first time uh, in over a week, so it uh, that contributed to uh, some liquidation, and that spilled over into the feeder cattle also, uh, despite the fact that the uh, grain was mostly lower. So, uh, not a very good uh, not a very good day for the bulls. Uh, in the hogs, uh, uh, cutouts were higher. Uh, cash seemed to be just a little bit softer, and that uh, put a little pressure on the hogs during the day the uh, index still climbing but uh, and closing the gap but uh, still uh, we still have that gap uh, in the uh, futures to uh, cash so uh, not a very good uh, uh, midweek uh, trade today uh, it was actually pretty quiet thanks joe joe teal great plains commodities call him at 800-328-0134 Total cattle slaughter through the first three days this week estimated at 356,000, 3,000 more than one week ago. Hog slaughter, 1,374,000, 15,000 less than last week. This is the Rural Radio Network. The Farm Credit Council is the National Trade Association of the Farm Credit System. The council represents the entire system in legislative and policy crafting in the nation's capital and in state legislatures. Todd Van Hoos is the president and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. I caught up with him recently in Washington, D.C. We began the conversation by discussing the state of the rural agricultural economy. Well, from a national perspective, we're seeing a decline in commodity price. I think everybody understands that. It's, it's very different depending on where you go in the country. It's also been either made better or worse by weather conditions depending on when you were in the country. So 
This is the fourth year, some even the fifth year of lower prices. So we're seeing a little bit of erosion in equity and farm balance sheets. But for the most part, kind of some stability out there. You know, farmers are making do. They're trying to cut expenses. They're getting through this. And we just hope that this cycle doesn't last a lot longer. Is there anything in particular you're talking to producers about this time of year to help those balance sheets out and make sure that they can keep on doing what they love, farming? Well, I think the most important thing to do is, is to be very realistic in your planning assumptions. You know, let's let's not think about a quick upturn in prices. Nobody's predicting that right now. Very realistic about your operating expenses. Um, really think hard about new equipment, new uh, additional land, and taking on a lot of new debt. You know, one of the things we tell farmers all the time is, yeah, sure, we, you know, we're here. We want to loan you money. But credit's never a substitute for income, and so we want to make sure people are making good, solid business decisions out there with long-term viability in mind. Of course, we've seen a lot of news coming out of uh, the nation's capital right here in Washington, D.C. One of the most recent things is the Farm Bill, and I know you all have been working on that and studying those issues. From a farm credit perspective, what were some of the wins and losses you saw in that Farm Bill? Well, we, we think the, the crop insurance program that came out of the Has Agriculture Committee the other day is on target. We really think that's the most important part of the Farm Bill, certainly from our perspective. And we're urging Congress, let's get this done. You know, the current bill expires in September. We'd love to see them get this new one in place before then. Clearly got a little ways to go on that. But, but we're optimistic. We think Congress is going to do the right thing on this. You also have one of the uh, items uh, on the sheet we're looking at of infrastructure and how that's important to rural America. From D.C.'s perspective, do you think that they, in the next few years, can find funding to uh, really improve rural infrastructure? Well, we sure hope so. One of our priorities in, in Washington right now is making sure people understand the desperate need we have out there to revitalize rural infrastructure. And the differences between rural and urban infrastructure, you know, we've got a lot of people who, who think about highways and other things and, and mass transit systems, and, and we keep talking to them about the basic building blocks of rural communities and just how much deterioration we've seen in that. Also, the ag transportation chain. You know, our farmers compete all over the world, and they're enormously successful in that because they can produce it here and get it there more efficiently than anybody else. That system's under siege a little bit right now, and so we think Congress needs to start paying attention to that. Anything else you want to add while I have you here? Well, we're just we're just optimistic about agriculture. You know, we're currently we're in a decline. Sure, we understand this is a tough economy, but when you think long term, American agriculture is still going to feed the world, and we're optimistic about it. We want to lean into this crisis, serve our customers, fulfill our mission during this downturn. We think we'll be all right long term. That was Todd Van Hoos, who is the president and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. To learn more about Farm Credit and the services that they offer, you can log on to farmcredit.com. Reporting, I'm Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Let's talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Looking back to yesterday, corn and... Uh, Wheat kind of shrugged off their weakness and closed a little higher. Now, today, corn ends up near unchanged. So what's your assessment of today's uh, trade? Very little. Uh, you know, I know it was bearish early, but things have come back. I, I think you've got a lot of position squaring going into the report, which is why we've seen liquidations in the front of the curve for soybeans, soybean meal, and then with wheat, 
you see in the KC where a lot of the money is being held exit as well. That spread now sits at 21 and a half cents. It was 30 just two days ago. So I think you've got, you know, whether it's delivery or just simple like rushing to, to cash in your chips, I think that's what's going on in the wheat. Uh, going forward, really wheat faces a pretty uphill battle to get a big market mover higher given that Russia is like a dollar forty less than we are at the export markets. But I think at this point in the year it's not so much about exports. I think you can be a little bit lulled to sleep that we you know, we basically use two thirds of this year's corn crop domestic or wheat crop domestically. So there could be a rush for protein and a rush to get their hands on what in my opinion might be a little bit of uh, short supply given the back end of next year. So uh, it's cheaper to buy now than it is to wait uh, and then buy it or hedge it off the deferred. So you might see a big rush to buy uh, as well as fill contracts for people who might be short, which could give us one more kick higher. But I really don't think we're going to see uh, a push up above that 560, 565 level again, if, unless we have a problem with the spring crop. Looking at that corn 10-day moving average right around 402, and we closed above that today in the July contract. That has to be positive, right? Yeah, it's positive, very positive. I mean, I would think 397 is where the roll was completed for May, so I wouldn't be shocked to see us go down there and maybe kiss that level. But uh, you got to be pretty impressed with, with, with corn, given the liquidation we've seen in beans and the liquidation we've seen in wheat just in the last two, three days. Uh, I think the market is going to want to trade higher, regardless of the report tomorrow. Bullish U.S. weather, I'd say. I know it's dry out your way, but you guys are running pivots, so it's a little different. This way, we've got plenty of moisture, plenty of sunshine, and, and the weather is pretty ideal at this point. Um, to get above, you know, we'll call it 435 May or March, 428 December, I, if I were a trader, I'd be looking to sell into that rat in that point. I think to get a big move above these levels, we're going to need to see some U.S. weather problems, which isn't going to be really in the cards for another two to three months. Thanks for the comments, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. You want to know more? Check out their website on a daily basis, danielsagmarketing.com. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.